1-800-227-5420. Now, the Business Edge Minute. Here's Mitch Graff. Sales is what makes the world go around and what makes your business able to provide goods and services to your customers. Bottom line, there's only four ways to increase your profits, and four only. First, you can increase the number of customers you have through effective marketing and branding campaigns. This should be always at the forefront of your business efforts. Second, you can increase the average order size for each customer by providing added value for their transaction. Giving incentives to customers is a great way to get them to spend just a little bit more. Third, you can increase the frequency in which customers give you money for your products and services. If a customer typically makes a purchase from you once a year, simply by getting them to order one more time during the year will double your business. And fourth, you can raise your prices. This may not always be feasible, but you should be raising your prices at least once a year to account for the increase in the cost of doing business. At BusinessEdgeMinute.com, I'm Mitch Graff. You've heard it said before that the best lessons learned are from the School of Hard Knocks. Well, now you can give the gift of a Ph.D. from this prestigious university. This authentic diploma is printed on the same high-quality paper that the top schools in the world use for their diplomas and will become the center of conversation for sure. Visit schoolofhardknocks.net. That's schoolofhardknocks.net. You'll receive a special discount of 20% at checkout when you enter the code EDGE. Get one for the person in your life who seems to have everything or heck. Get one for yourself. You've earned it. Good news and Christian talk on KKXX Paradise, K283AR Chico, and K280GL Chico. Celebrating over 50 years broadcasting to the North Valley on AM 930. And now the new FM 103.9. This is KKXX Life Radio. Chico, Christian Radio. Have you turned on the news? Gavin Newsom is running for president. He just hasn't told you yet. He's leaving a trail of destructive policies, a $70 billion budget deficit, rising crime rates, and raging homelessness. Assemblyman James Gallagher isn't going to let him ruin the North State on the way out. This is James Gallagher. Because of Gavin Newsom, the California dream is now a nightmare. Gavin Newsom spends more time campaigning in other states about national issues than addressing our needs here. He tramples all over our individual freedoms and supports new tax increases, all while releasing dangerous criminals into our neighborhoods. I've had enough. I've taken on Gavin Newsom and won, and I'm going to keep taking him on for you. We will stop his plans to undermine Prop 13 and raise taxes, hold him accountable for not securing our border, and end his giveaways at your expense. Please visit my website, electjamesgallagher.com, and join my movement to help stop Gavin Newsom. Paid for by James Gallagher for Assembly 2024. Are we listening to the wisdom of God, to the counsel of God? Those who do not, who reject it continually and think I'm smarter than that stuff. God says in an hour of crisis, when you need it more than anything else, you will try, but it will not be there and God will refuse to heed you because you have continued to reject it. It's the same thing as the Bible saying, my spirit will not always strive with man. I like to call it a long rope. God gives us a long rope, I believe. He is so patient, so loving, so forgiving. And we sometimes ignore him, neglect him in our life, and act like this Christian message is so inconsistent and it doesn't really work and I don't need it and it's not for me. And we just reject it. God gives you a long rope, keeps pulling it out, and you're running around doing your thing, acting like you know better. And one day a crisis comes, God tightens that rope.
This is the Friday edition of Hope for Today with David Hawking. On this first day of March, we're going to wrap up our look at verses 18 to 35 of Luke chapter 7. Now, in this lesson, we've been experiencing the significant moment where John the Baptist's followers, uncertain about their future, look to Jesus for reassurance. Now, in response, Jesus not only consoled them, but also conveyed divine truths through his miracles and teachings, bolstering their spirits and providing comfort, clarity, and understanding. You know something? Jesus did not stop there. He also challenged them to recognize the signs of the times. Well, we're going to open up Luke chapter 7 once again in just a moment. First, though, here's uh, David's son, Matt, and he's going to tell us about a great way that you can get the inside track on all that God is doing through the ministry of Hope For Today. Matt? I don't know if you know this, friends, but we have a monthly ministry letter that we send your way each and every month. It has details on our latest available resources, how you can pray for us, the popular Prophecy Watch column, which focuses on current and historical events in Israel and the Jewish community, and Bible studies to edify you and your family. All this in one newsletter, sent monthly. At the best news, it's free. Sign up to get the Hope for Today monthly ministry letter when you call 1-800-75-BIBLE. In Canada, 1-888-75-BIBLE. Well, thank you, Matt. Right now, turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 35, and here's David with day three of No Greater Prophet. Now, there are three groups of people in this particular passage that we've read and three answers from Christ. Those groups are, one, the disciples of John the Baptist, and that takes you down to verse 23. The second group are the multitudes, which is clear from verse 24, and that takes you down through verse 28. And the third group are Pharisees and lawyers, mentioned in verse 30, and the Lord's answer to them, which goes down to verse 35. So let's take a look at them one at a time. In the first case, our Lord's reply to John's disciples reveals his true identity. The incident that just happened caused the people to say, well, maybe he is a great prophet, perhaps like Elijah and Elisha. And it's interesting that the first issue that our Lord deals with is his own real identity. And his reply to the the disciples of John the Baptist reveals that. That was his reply to John. Let's look at his remarks to the multitudes. Verse 24. Now, when the messengers of John depart, the Bible says he began to speak to the multitudes. If you look at that carefully, I think even in English, and, and maybe a little stronger in the original language, He's connecting what he said to the messengers of John to the multitudes. He began to speak to the multitudes when the disciples of John were departing. So the first thing Jesus does is he turns to the multitudes and comments on who John is. In the first discussion, he's commenting on who he is. In the second discussion, he's going to comment on who John is. And in the third discussion, he is going to connect the two together. Now watch this carefully. In the second discussion, his remarks to the multitudes, it reveals the importance of John's ministry, no doubt about it. 
First of all, he challenges them about the character of John. Verse 24, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? He repeats it two more times. Verse 25, what did you go out to see? Verse 26, what did you go out to see? The exact same phrase. What were you looking for when you went out to the wilderness? Now his first occasion of saying that, he says, did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Now there's something we need to really see here. He used the word, why'd you go out to the wilderness to see this? A reed, folks, is found everywhere along the shores of Galilee. He is in Galilee. There's no point for all of these people to have left and gone down to the desert area of the Jordan River and to have seen a reed shaken by the wind. There's a play on this whole, it's a little irony here. Why did you leave and go all the way out there to see? Was it a reed shaken by the wind? You could have seen that here. But he's also applying it to the character of John. People would have had a tendency to say, well, maybe John doesn't have any convictions, obviously, by sending people to Jesus and asking him, are you the coming one or not? So Jesus uses a classic illustration of Reed being blown by the wind and saying, is that what you think John is? That he has no convictions because of the questions he just sent to me? Well, you don't know who John is. That's your problem. That's the general tendency of this passage where Jesus is leading. Then he said, what did you go out to see? Verse 25, was it a man clothed in soft garments? Those who are gorgeously apparelled live in luxury or in king's courts. Now, what's his point there? Perhaps that John could have been bought or rewarded. And that is almost amusing because he is in prison for rebuking Herod. And Jesus is saying, well, maybe you think he doesn't have any ethics at all. That somehow he could, you know, be a man in soft garments. He'd be gorgeously apparel, live in luxury. Is that what you think? You think his motives are all messed up? You got, you got this all wrong. And in his third question what you went out to see. He says, did you go out to see a prophet? Oh yeah, they all love to see the prophets. Now he not only challenged them about the character of John as to whether he really had any convictions or ethics, and he not only connected that ministry with that prophecy in Malachi 3, but he also compared the role of John to future believers. He said there hasn't been a greater prophet than him ever but the one who is the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What does he mean that someone who is the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than John? You see, this whole story began with John questioning about Jesus, what he was doing in the light of what he knew the Messiah should do when he comes again. Now today, we know all of that. It's in the Bible. So he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John in terms of the understanding about prophecy and about Jesus. Now let me give you a point to prove this. Turn to Acts chapter 18, which Luke also wrote. He wrote the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And I want to give you an example of someone who was committed to the teaching of John the Baptist and to show you that he didn't know everything and that somebody in the church age actually knew more than he did. In Acts 18.24, it says, Now a certain Jew, Acts 18.24, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria in Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, like John the Baptist of old, came to Ephesus, 
This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and talked accurately the things of the Lord. Now watch this next statement. Though he knew only the baptism of John. He was from Alexandria, Egypt. He doesn't know the events about the death and resurrection of Christ in the beginning of the church. He only knows the baptism of John the Baptist, which prepared people to receive the Messiah. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla, New Testament believers, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. The result of that was great. Verse 28, he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah or the Christ. Now, what I want to point out to you, here's a man who was mighty in the scriptures, very knowledgeable, taught in the way of God accurately, but he knew only the baptism of John. Here's some simple believers, Aquila and Priscilla, least people in the kingdom of God, knew more, were able to teach him the way of God more accurately. So come back to Luke 7. What I think the point is that the least person today in the kingdom of God is greater than John in terms of what he knows about Bible prophecy and the events that happened after John the Baptist's ministry, and he died. As you know, he was beheaded. Now knowing that, come to verse 29. We said there were three groups of people with three answers. Jesus replied to the disciples of John the Baptist, revealed his true identity. Secondly, his remarks to the multitudes revealed the importance of John's ministry, John the Baptist. Now, in the final paragraph, we have a rebuke to the Pharisees and lawyers, which frankly reveals their inconsistency in failing to respond to either John the Baptist or Jesus. These are religious leaders. They are intelligent men, the most brilliant men of that day, lawyers, who study the law carefully. Pharisees, who many of them had memorized the entire Old Testament. Men who knew truth in that day like no one else did. Common people could not even come close to the intelligence level of these men. Now let's read about it. Verse 29, when all the people, common people, when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, traitors, sinful men that they were, they justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And then the Lord gives his reply. Now I want you to see four things about these Pharisees and lawyers. One, stated very clearly in verse 30, they rejected the counsel of God. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. And look at verse 25. Proverbs 1 verse 25. When Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and lawyers, he pointed to the fact that they rejected the counsel of God. This is a very serious indictment. In Proverbs chapter 1 verse 25, here is wisdom speaking and is attacking those who have not responded to her. In verse 25, it says, Because you disdained or rejected all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. 
When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they, these who have rejected the counsel of God, then they, in that crisis, they used to say in the military, there's no atheist in the foxhole, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Are we listening to the wisdom of God, to the counsel of God? Those who do not, who reject it continually and think I'm smarter than that stuff. God says in an hour of crisis, when you need it more than anything else, you will try, but it will not be there and God will refuse to heed you because you have continued to reject it. It's the same thing as the Bible saying, my spirit will not always strive with man. They rejected the counsel of God. Go back to Luke 7, please. The second thing I want you to notice is a very fascinating way that Jesus handled these people. We wouldn't like it if somebody did this to us, but this is our Lord Jesus, and this is how he handled religious intelligentsia of his day. They not only rejected the counsel of God, but secondly, Jesus taught us that they reacted like disappointed children. They reacted like disappointed children. In Luke chapter 7, verse 31 and 32, have you ever wondered what this means? You've read it in the past. It says, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? Pharisees, lawyers, what are they like? He says, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you, you did not dance. We mourned for you, to you, and you did not weep. Now, what he's referring to are games that children in ancient times used to play in the marketplace. They would see their parents at two very important occasions in life doing things that they were mocking and playing a game. The first one, of course, is a wedding. There were a lot of Jewish dancing at the wedding and blowing pipes and, and just having a wonderful time and celebrating. So the kids would do that in the marketplace. Jesus said, these religious leaders are like children playing the game of wedding. The second one, it says, we mourn for you and did not weep. In those times, you would actually hire and employ people to mourn when you lost a loved one. At a funeral service, you would ask somebody, would you come and cry for me? I'll give you 10 bucks. Sure, be glad to. And boy, they could pour it on. And it would make them look good, you know. It looked like, oh, people must really love that guy. But they were hiring these mourners, okay? So kids would see that, and they were mocking, you know, and playing these little games in the marketplace. They played wedding, and they played funeral. And man, I tell you, if you're a Pharisee, and you know the dignity of these men, and the intelligence of these men, and you hear Jesus say this, you can imagine what you felt in your heart. You guys are like children playing wedding games and funeral games. It doesn't end there. Because in verse 33 and 34, he now applies it to what they actually did. They not only reacted like disappointed children, but the third thing I'd like you to notice is they refused to accept either the lifestyle or the message of John or Jesus. 
Watch this application, verse 33. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. Okay, so that would be like a funeral. And you say he has a demon. Hey, you guys are getting confused. John came playing funeral. You guys want to play funeral? Okay, there's John the Baptist. He's ascetic. He doesn't eat bread. He doesn't drink wine. And what's your conclusion? that You want to play funeral? No, you don't. You're just like kids playing a little game. You don't really mean it. You say, well, we mourned and you didn't weep. Oh, no. Uh-uh. John came that way. He came with a funeral message, with a funeral lifestyle. And you didn't respond to him. You said he's got a demon. I mean, why doesn't he associate with other people? Why doesn't he eat with us? He's an ascetic and he lives out there in the desert and he's weird. We don't want anything to do with him. Well, he was just playing the funeral game for you, wasn't he? You still with me? I hope you're with me following this. Then the second punchline is in verse 34. The son of man, referring to Jesus, came eating and drinking. He's playing wedding. Jesus said to his disciples once who asked, why don't your disciples fast? He said, why should they when they got the bridegroom with them? What do you do when the bridegroom's here? Hey, it's time to rejoice. It's a wedding. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. I mean, he's playing wedding. Isn't that what you guys wanted? You want to play wedding? Okay, there's Jesus. He's playing wedding for you. What did you do? He came eating and drinking. He was associating with people and mixing with them. Just normal lifestyle. And you say, look, he's a glutton and a wine-bibber. Drinking to excess and eating to excess. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, which do you want? You played funeral, you played wedding, and we gave you both. And you rejected both. Interesting, isn't it? Now watch the punchline, which is the fourth point I would mention. That is that they revealed their own lack of wisdom. Verse 35, Jesus' punchline was, but wisdom is justified by all her children. They obviously were not children of wisdom. The children of wisdom will accept the right way and they'll see the wisdom of God both in the lifestyle and message of John the Baptist as well as in the lifestyle and message of Jesus. In verse 29, all the people heard him, even tax collectors, sinners. No one was excluded. They repented. The common people, the Bible says, heard Jesus gladly. But religious and intelligentsia of his day, they rejected it. They were playing games. They were like children. And you couldn't please them no matter what you did. No matter whether you had the lifestyle of John or the lifestyle of Jesus, which were totally different. By the way, there are two views about who the children are. Watch this carefully in your Bible. The first view is that it refers to John and Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that view. The point of that is wisdom is justified by the children of wisdom, namely John and Jesus. They were doing the right thing, though you did not see it. The second view is that it refers to all of those who believe and takes you back to verse 29. Wisdom is justified by all our children because in verse 29 it says they justified God having been baptized with the baptism of John. What do we learn from all of this? We learned that the most important issue in life is to know who Jesus is. Understanding that John the Baptist was that promised forerunner pointing to the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the hope of the world. He is salvation. He is eternal life. And no man comes unto the Father but through him. Wisdom is justified by all of her children. Are you wise or foolish? Are you going to reject the counsel of God? Or are you going to respond to it? 
Do you want everlasting life in heaven or do you want hell and being apart from God forever? There is no way I could possibly tell you any stronger. The issues of the gospel are heaven and hell. The issue is whether you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Have you come to accept the Messiah as your only hope and your only savior from sin? The message now is love and grace. He is a savior with acts of mercy who wants to touch all who would come to him and opens his arms wide and says, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I love you. All day long, the Bible says he stands with those arms outstretched. But many times to people who do not listen and don't want to respond. And one day we will have no answer before God when he asks us to give account. For every one of us, the Bible says, will give account of himself to God. What do you really believe about Jesus Christ? That's Bible teacher and author David Hawking, and you're listening to Hope for Today. David returns in just a moment to close out our time with a prayer for those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. So do stay with us for that. And believers, please be in prayer for this very important time. First, though, if you'd like to discover practical biblical wisdom for everyday living, well, you can do that by ordering a copy of our current radio series in the Gospel of Luke. Now, this series, available in its entirety or in individual lessons, offers you the timeless truths of Luke and will guide you to a life filled with joy, compassion, and fulfillment. And the whole series... You can get that for just $30 on MP3 CD. Now, individual messages on audio CD are $5, and the message notes, they're great for following along more closely with David. Those are $10. Get yours by calling 875-BIBLE. That's 875-24253. And our friends in Canada call 888-75-BIBLE. Or you can order at our new website, davidhawking.org. Now, if you'd like to support this ministry beyond the cost of any resource you might purchase, well, our mailing address is Hope for Today, Box 3927, Tustin, California, 92781. In Canada, at Box 15011, RPO 7 Oaks, Abbotsford, B.C., V2S 8P1. And if you have a prayer request or maybe a testimony to share, Write those in as well. Or give us a call at 800-75-BIBLE. In Canada, call 888-75-BIBLE. Now here's David to lead us in prayer. Father, we recognize in looking this passage over today about how crucial and serious is the matter of believing in the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. As was true in his generation, so in ours. There are many who hear and listen, but who have never accepted this as the counsel of God. We know, Father, that our hope of living with you forever is based on our faith in your Son, Jesus, the chosen servant of the Lord, the one who would pay for our sins, the one who would come back from the dead and live forever, the one who would return to this earth and set up a kingdom that shall never end. 
God, I would pray that you would help us to see the critical nature of our faith. You said, blessed are those who have never seen and yet still believe. Father, we have never seen your son Jesus with our physical eyes. We have read about it in the Bible and we have read these wonderful, wonderful things that he has done. We've read the story of how he died on a cross for our sins. We read the story of how you love us with an everlasting love, even though you know what we're like. We read that you want to forgive our sins, and we read that Jesus is not a dead Savior. He's alive. And we read that we must confess that he is our Lord and must believe in 